0: Miss the show? No worries. On point and on this podcast, Will Smith resorts to violence clocking Chris Rock at the Oscars. An unforgivable sin that looks like it's going to be forgiven by the very same people who preach the moral high ground to the rest of the world, and yet never quite live up to their own standards. So we'll talk to Glenn Foster, that Canadian guy, about the blurred line of comedy in 2022 and the fallout that this temper tantrum could have in the comedy world, which is already struggling not to get cancelled. And if a guy like Chris Rock can't tell a joke without getting clocked, what does this mean for those artists who are not yet established is stats canada playing politics when it comes to the data it gives us on inflation or foodflation the banks of course have been warning that inflation is higher than we are being told but now they've changed their formula on how it calculates increases to food costs so what's the real story on cost of our food and why are we not getting transparency on this and the ford government striking a deal with the trudeau government so ford strikes a major win on the issue of daycare before an election, and Justin Trudeau creates a legacy policy that is very big on promises, but can we afford it? And what's the devil in the detail on this that the taxpayers could get stuck with? Let's get talking.
1: This is on point with Alex Pearson.
0: Will Smith just smacked the out of me. out your mouth.
1: Wow, dude.
0: It was a GI Jane Jump.
1: Keep my wife's name out your mouth!
0: Nah, super punched by a super Hollywood suck, and of course he'll get a pass, even though he carried out a crime on live TV. Hello there, Alex Pearson, back with you on point for this Monday, March 28th. Here we go into a new week, new time, and, um,. I go away for a week, and I think the question I come back with is, like, what didn't happen (laughs) while I was away? And naturally, when you go on vacation, you try to tune out, but it's so hard to unplug because the news never stops. And so I'm I'm coming home, and I've got, like, a buffet of headlines, like, where do I start with this? Do I talk Ukraine? Uh, Do I talk about that non-coalition coalition now with a cute name between the NDP and Liberals, you know, or do I... Do I dive into this very historic daycare deal? I mean, yeah, uh, to all of the above. And then, of course, Will Smith steals his own show. And so I will start with that talker on a day where we've got lots and lots of things to talk about. And if you know me or you've listened to this show, of course, I don't watch the Oscars. Um, I've got very little interest in celebrities, and I absolutely find that show uh, almost torturous with how long and boring it is. But I don't know why I managed to flip it, but I flipped over just at that moment where I caught the tail end of this, you know, temper tantrum, and I just, I found it just gobsmacking. Not not just because it was completely unprovoked violence on live TV in front of millions of people, but the show just went on. It's like, oh yeah, oh uh, just go on, you know. It, we've got Will Smith, one of the biggest stars on the planet, whether you like him or not. Uh, but he's assaulted someone and yet still walks off with an Oscar and a standing ovation, right? And this is not about whether you think Chris Rock hit below the belt with his joke about Jada Pinkett Smith, but he's a comedian. That's what they do. They hit below the belt. They say mean things, and then, of course, we pretend they're awful, and then we laugh anyway. And sure, I mean, making fun of someone's appearance is mean it's not the kind of humor i subscribe to um but jada pinkett smith has been very open about this condition um she's also a very famous rich celebrity so when you go to a show like that and you're all dressed to the nines and you got a big name uh, she becomes fair game i mean literally and what i find odd is that here's will smith himself he's laughing at the joke he was there you could see it in the in the shot he's laughing Until I guess he saw his wife's reaction, and she didn't look all that perturbed. She kind of just rolled her eyes, and then he just flipped the switch, rushed the stage, and clocked Chris Rock with an open hand. That was not a slap. That was a very hard hit. And in that moment, I found that he revealed himself to be this completely unhinged baby. I completely lost respect for him as an actor. I don't think I'll ever be able to watch a movie of his again. And he's done some very, very good movies. And so a lot of people are now trying to justify what is actually unjustifiable. You know, those arguing that Chris Rock, well, he deserved it. He deserved it for saying mean things. You know, that Smith was, well, he was just standing up for his wife. Well, no, I mean, first of all, his wife can stand up for herself. I I pretty much think she could take care of Chris Rock if she wanted to. But I'm sorry, he broke the law. He physically assaulted Chris Rock. And had it been any kind of normal person, had I done something like that, had you done something like that, you'd be charged. I'd be charged. And yet when you're in the Oscars or you're in that crowd, you know, they they just go on with the show. Not only did the Oscars not say anything or do anything... Um, He gets his best actor trophy, a standing ovation after a blubbering speech where he portrayed himself as a hero and a victim all in one breath. He was a defender. He called himself a a vessel of love. I mean, it was just, I don't even know what he was talking about. And then he justified the assault because, well, as he says here, I did it for love. I look like crazy father, just like they said about Richard Williams. Um, But love will make you do crazy things not that i've never hit somebody (laughs) over love most people don't hit people over love and there's nothing wrong with defending your life or your loved one but you know doing it uh with violence during a live show seen around the world i don't know how he thought that was a good idea i don't know what goes to your head to think hmm, i think what i'll do is i'll get up and i'll uh, clock him. that'll be funny that'll be good and if he can behave like that in public, you got to wonder, like, what's he doing behind closed doors when no one's around? What's, what, what happens when he gets offended at home? I mean, is that is that how he gets triggered? And he could have redeemed himself during the speech, but, you know, he was just too busy talking about his greatness. I mean, it did not dawn on him at any point, and certainly I think people were around him, you know, between that hit and his uh, accepting of his um, award, I'm pretty sure his publicist and his agent and a whole bunch of people, including his wife, probably said, dude, you gotta, you got to fix this and fix it now. But it didn't dawn on him that he had totally upstaged everyone in the room. He had totally upstaged and took away from the movie he was fronting. You know, he totally upstaged the Williams sister. It was gobsmacking. He just... He made sure to apologize to the Academy. Not Chris Rock. Didn't say, hey, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. He was all about protecting the paycheck. And while he's bragging about his nobility, he just wasn't noble enough to simply say, hey, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And it set a good example. And apparently in his household, that's the way they do it, said his son on Twitter. That's how we do things. Well, no, it's not how normal people do things. They don't go up and commit assault on live TV. That's not how things are done in a civilized society. But imagine, like, what if it was a white man going on stage and hitting a black man, or vice versa? Or what if Chris Rock had decided to hit back, or, you know, he bit his tongue. He wanted to say something, and he probably could have, and he just said, you know, I'm going to shut up right now. So he just, I'm surprised he didn't black out and pass out. It was a hard hit to the to the side of his head. Uh, you know, would that be forgiven? He's lucky Chris Rock held his composure. It'd be interesting. What if Ricky Gervais were hosting? He has lots to say, and he would not have held back would Will Smith have gone on stage and clubbed him? I mean, this all might be okay with Will Smith and his thin-skinned colleagues who always preach the high ground and yet seem to turn a blind eye uh, to the known predators or the abusers among them. But, you know, to the real world, I I just see hypocrisy at at its finest. And then I love this. You've got uh, Will Smith, you know, during his blathering speech that, you know, had him crying and and coming up with justifications without actually talking about what happened. And, you know, he said, you know, you've got to put up with the abuse, he says. I know to do what we do. You got to be able to take
1: abuse. You got to be able to have People talk crazy about you. In this business, you got to be able to have people disrespecting you. And you got to smile and you got to pretend like that's
0: okay. But Richard Williams, and what I loved, thank you, D. Denzel said to me a few minutes ago, he said, at your highest moment, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. Mm, okay. I'm sorry. The guy makes 20 million bucks a picture. Suck it up. <laughs> You've got more money than people can dream of. And so I think you can put up with one or two jokes. I think your wife can probably tolerate one or two jokes. It, it was not the worst joke I've ever heard, certainly, and it didn't justify that behavior. And Chris Rock's not going to be pressing charges. And apparently. The two men have cleared the air, albeit I'm not sure we've seen the last of this. But I, I don't know how this clears Will Smith of being a royal D-bag. I mean, I you know, it remi- Tom Cruise's career never recovered after he went all goofy on Oprah's couch. Never did. You could never unsee that moment, even though he's done a lot of big movies and he's still successful. I don't think there's a gal out there who could ever unsee what was so uncool in that moment. And so I don't think you can unsee the moment that we saw last night at the Oscars which was a lot worse and so the academies tweeted out it does not condone violence of any form and they're investigating the situation well what's to investigate that's right there was an act of totally unprovoked violence which upstaged their show and they made a choice in that moment and that was to go on with the show which they often do (laughs)
1: out your mouth. Wow, dude. Yes. It was a GI Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your mouth. I'm going to, okay? <laughs> I can, oh, okay. That yeah, was there uh, you go. Greatest night in the history of television. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. All right, that is Chris Rock and uh. I mean, what do you do after a guy comes over and punches in the face or slaps you in the face or whatever? I mean, yeah, that's what happened. So, like, when when does a comedian go over the line? I don't think there is a line anymore. I just don't think it exists. You can cross any line anytime. And sure, Chris Rock may have made a nasty joke about Jada Pinkett Smith. He now says uh, he didn't know she had any kind of issue uh, about alopecia. I mean, she's spoken about it. That's fine. Um, but, you know, a lot of times in comedy... It goes below the belt. You know, it's uncomfortable. Makes fun of things that generally shouldn't be made fun of. And, you know, Will Smith is apologizing now, as you heard in the news. What I found was, you know, interesting is that Will Smith was actually laughing at Chris Rock's joke. It wasn't until he looked over at his wife and she didn't laugh. She was kind of rolling her eyes. And then, of course, he goes up on stage and does what he does And so, you know, now we've got this debate with one side justifying this completely inappropriate reaction. You know, others saying, hey, he was just standing up for his wife. And then you've got the other side saying, look, you can't openly assault someone in the name of love. It's just not okay. (laughs) And it's not. Let me bring in a guy who has to do this for a living. And uh, sure, it's probably not as easy as it used to be, Glenn Foster. He is that Canadian guy with more than 40 years in Canadian comedy. Good to have you, Glenn.
2: Great to be here. Well, here and there.
0: Yeah. Well, I got to be honest. I, would ha- I think that being a stand-up comedian in 20- 2022 would be one of the hardest jobs. Is it even fun anymore?
2: Well, it's getting to the point where, you know, everyone's trying to cancel comedians for things that they did like 20 years ago, and now we have this open assault on stage. I mean, what's the next step? Does someone shoot a comedian on stage?
0: I don't <laughs> give them any ideas. You know?
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, well, I what is the honest. next step?
0: So, yeah,
2: I have to be honest. You know, I, I I was on my computer last night, and suddenly everything started lighting up with notifications, and then the, you know the the video. I saw it, and my very first reaction was, "Holy crap! Are the Oscars
0: on tonight?" <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> I, I don't watch them either, but I, I s- kind of flipped over and I caught it, and I was like, "You that won't miss them. you there, will you?" <laughs> well, I probably will, um, because I don't think that would happen again. Having said that, the fact that it happened at all, I mean, what was your, I mean, Chris Rock is legendary, whether you think he's funny or not. I mean, he's, he is, I've seen him live at Massey Hall. He was really funny. He goes below the belt. But I think a lot, don't most comedians go where they shouldn't go? I mean, they do take a lot of well, risks. That, um, that
2: used which to is be what, part of the job yeah. description, but now the job description seems to be entertain without hurting anyone ever. Uh, and, uh, you know, all, all jokes sort of have a victim, you know, uh, I will say this is one advantage of doing zoom shows that, uh, you can't be attacked.
0: Is that where we're going? I mean, wh- where does the line go? I mean, Will Smith is apologizing now and it seems that, you know, yeah. he's got the kind of star power right. where, you, you know,
2: out, yeah. he pointed out and, and many people have pointed this out that he laughed at the joke. And then he decided it wasn't fun. He looked at his wife, and it's like he decided he had to do something, and who knows what's going through his head at that point. And, and you know, they have an open marriage and so on and so forth, but none, of, none of which should have anything to do with anything. The, the joke is a funny joke, Right. I mean, it, well, it right, a because look, she was wearing milk.
0: a really beautiful gown. You could not miss her. She's a very, very striking woman. Um, I, I didn't know she had alopecia. It's not actually something I knew. And I thought, my God. She's a very beautiful woman with with she can carry off uh, you know she can shave her head and carry that off and she's got such a magnificent I mean she was standing out so I thought well it's not it's not abnormal or unreal that someone would kind of use her as kind of a a, a, a subject matter I think well, that's what they not, they it's do also
2: not out of the out of the realm of possibility that you know she was up for a part or something where she had to shave her head and and she was Maybe, there yeah right. And, and so what's, how's Chris Rock supposed to know this? Right? I didn't know it. Other people didn't know it. Everybody knows it now, but who knew it prior to the fact?
0: right and so right? look i don't think a comedian goes up on stage and thinks okay i'm gonna say this and then i have to worry about someone attacking me and when when will smith went, went up on stage i thought okay this is part of the bit and maybe you know he's gonna go up and kind of wrestle him or give him a noogie or maybe a wedgie or something what i didn't expect right. was an open-handed uh hit and it wasn't a slap a slap would have not been i mean that was a hard hit to the side of the head which was kind of cupped made a big noise but it was a hard <laughs> hit and and chris rock i think reacted uh, <laughs> like it I was a miracle he didn't do anything else like he bit his tongue i think he it, thought it, it, i it, could say something know, a lot worse
2: testament to him being a professional is that you know he stood there and he didn't he didn't break his you know character it, he actually you know commented on it kept things going type thing so it's a testament to his professionalism if anything you know and uh also his maybe his upbringing a little bit because uh he took a good hard shot and it didn't mm-hmm. really phase him, you know? But
0: what but if it had been I, someone else? I, I, like, I, G-
2: I think they're on something here now. Instead of, uh, you know, with the Oscars, instead of having the Academy vote, I think you just take all the the uh, nominees for each individual category and they go into a, into a cage, Thunderdome style. <laughs> and, and you can just hang the Oscar from, from a rope in the middle and whoever gets to walk out with it walks out with it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, someone will bring a ladder and then someone will fall off. But, you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, some of the big greats, uh, you know, Jerry Jerry Seinfeld, a lot of these big names like Chris Rock have openly said, um, uh, and sorry, forgive me, I'm having a kind of brain fart, uh, the big one who just kind of went through the whole transphobia issues. Um, his name evades oh, me. Oh, right uh,
2: Dave Chappelle. But,
0: Dave Chappelle. I mean, he has been talking openly about the fact that it's like, you know, it's so hard to do comedy now with woke culture and cancel culture that it's not worth it for a lot of these people to even go out and put themselves out there. And so where does it go from here? I mean, I'm sure Will Smith will probably be forgiven for what is ultimately a pretty unforgivable thing. Um, But where does where does this now blur the line or does it like, does everything just go back to normal?
2: I do not know. I mean, I, 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 it's never happened to me, but I have had uh, lots, of, lots of friends who have been threatened on stage or attacked after shows. And usually it's a small town thing and you're picking on some guy in front of his girlfriend or something. And it's, you know, it's whatever would set someone off in a small town situation, but amplified because it's a show and somebody's on stage and, you know, calling someone out publicly and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's it, it's never been without its dangers, but it just seems that it's just becoming, you know, more and more of a thing that, okay, so it used to be, okay, you didn't like a, a joke, so then you're going to try and cancel this person, but now you don't like a joke, you're going to get up on stage and, and smack somebody? Like, the, I think there's a lot of comedians worried about this thing right now.
0: Well, because it happened at the Oscars, in front of sure. like an audience of a billion people, and you think, okay, Will nice. Smith is an actor. He's not new to this kind of thing. He knows what goes with the territory. So does Jada Pinkett Smith. I mean, she's a tough woman. She may have her vulnerabilities, but they all know what goes with the territory. Um And and, and frankly, like, I don't know where, you know, Ricky Gervais, I mean, he is hysterical, but he takes no prisoners. He's, he, again, he puts it all out there. What, what, is he never going to get a, well, a think, gig I again? Think, I mean...
2: I think the idea is, and what I try for my myself, because truthfully, if I was more famous, I think I'd be cancelled at this point, because I I delve into topics that are things you really shouldn't be joking about, but that doesn't mean that that uh, you can't joke about them, you just have to be careful how you do it. In well, if you my can't opinion, make
0: a G.I. Jane joke at the Oscars in my front whole of a room that is, that is seasoned, like how do you... Of yeah.
2: And maybe tiptoe over it a little bit, but step back, right? I'm not going out to deliberately offend people. But what I am trying to do, in some cases—and not all my materials like this—but in some cases, what you're trying to do is make them think you're going to offend them, get them all wound up, and then kind of let them off the hook with a with a different twist or something that, and they go, "Oh, well, that's not offensive," you know, or that it came close, but it isn't. I, my my favorite jokes are are the ones that are so on the line where you go. You you laugh before you think about it, and then (laughs) pretty much what happened last night. He laughed, and then he thought about it, and he decided... I mean, to me, it's like once you laugh, you've made your decision. That joke was funny. That's the only marker of is a joke funny. You laughed, right?
0: So I have to think that Chris Rock, because you can see kind of back and forth... Will Smith is laughing. He's not that far from the stage. So if you're Chris Rock and you're making that joke and you got the guy laughing, you're like, okay, I guess I'm going to go here. And he's like, yeah, it wasn't a bad joke. And and so I think he thought that he was okay going there. And then Will Smith turned around and said, you know what? No, you're not.
2: And who's to say that Chris Rock even wrote the joke? I mean, Chris Rock's got probably 20 writers. It's it's the Oscars, right? Like, it could have just been thrown in there and and I'm sure... That, that he's, you know, maybe glanced over them before he went on or had us you know, because these things get changed up until the last minute anyway, and it comes up on, right. I'm, I'm sure it was on a teleprompter, and I'm sure it was, uh, you know, maybe even point form or whatever because you have to stay a time and everything else. So it, it wasn't an unplanned thing, but I bet Chris Rock had very little to do with the actual planning of it, you know. He's got other things and other responsibilities to do, uh, you know the Oscars is just one other thing so i'm sure that uh you know he didn't i don't i don't think he wrote the joke himself he might have but I, I don't think so i think it was probably one of the writers you know and then it's in there and then you glance over it i mean if 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 you're a comedian and you have writers then they do the writing and you look at it and you go okay and you glance over it and you've got to put it in the back of your mind until it's actually showtime and then when it comes out of your mouth at that point you go oh okay well maybe that was a little close to the bone right? Yeah. But, well, okay, but again, but, but where does it go now? The alopecia, then, right. you know. Yeah.
0: So where does it go, where does it go from here? Because, you know, he got his Oscar, um, now there's this investigation looking into it by the Academy, they say that they condemn it, they don't tolerate this, but again, they went on with the show, he was allowed to make yes, a speech, and he, it, so is this a forgivable sin, or is there any blowback for Will Smith from here?
2: Well, I don't think there's any blowback, because, because Chris Rock did not, did not file, a uh, with the police, right?
0: But there has to be, in the in the public, sec- I mean, in the public forum, in the forum, public, the public sector, opinion.
2: I think this will blow sector, over. I think it'll blow over, to be honest. It's I can't imagine date, anyone in Hollywood
0: thinking that, like, Jerry, like, I can't imagine the late-night people would be happy with this. I mean, I have to think that comedians would probably band together in this and say, really? Like, you're attacking your own? Like, this is where we're going now?
2: Yeah, there may be some of that. And, I mean, you know, I've been kind of following this all day on Facebook, and on Slapchat. That's my little joke there.
0: Oh, um, is that see I'm not on any so that wouldn't land with me because I'm not on any of these I would I no, would think I said, that's just I said
2: SlapChat. <laughs> the, the yeah, house. see
0: I would think that's a real thing. <laughs> I don't know what Snapchat or oh, Slapchat is, no, so that's oh, I like, thought it was a real deal. I, no,
2: anyway. I'm like, anyway, okay,
0: because I like rotary yeah, dial okay, phones, okay, so okay. you know. <laughs> I'm not your well, audience. Yes, it is it is it me. is
2: a it is a point of contention on Facebook today yeah. where people are saying, Hey you know, I mean, the guy's a comedian. He's just doing a job, and you did step. I mean, he definitely stepped over a line walking up on stage. You know, if I was doing a show anywhere, in fact, this is in my contract. Usually, if anyone you know gets on stage physically attacks the comedian, the show is over. Like it is over. Yeah. If if someone came up to me on stage, attacked me, and I'm walking from that show, right?
0: Yeah. Well, I have to think there's an awful lot of conversations like that. You have
2: to, you know, physically protect yourself. I mean, there's all kinds of videos on YouTube uh, of of the other way around. You know, someone walks up on stage. In one case, somebody smacks somebody with a guitar. The Mm comedian smacks someone coming up on stage with a guitar. Let's not forget, we've got a mic stand on stage that generally has a heavy, round bass. And, uh, you know, no lack of weaponry on stage. There's a a stool sometimes. I mean, there's, there are ways to protect yourself, but you sure as hell wouldn't expect it at the Oscars. Um, you know what I mean? Under you, those... Well... Of all the places, I mean, really? you expect that in a, in a divy bar somewhere, you know, there's chicken wire on the stage. Maybe they should have chicken wire at the Well, the, maybe the
0: they will next year. <laughs> well, maybe they will. It might be more I mean, interesting. I do know Nonetheless, had
2: a, glass, a glass thrown at them and yeah. hit them right in the chest, Right. Yeah. Um, all kinds of incidents like that. I mean, that's that's not not an unheard of thing. But as again, I say, normally it's you know small town nonsense, right? Doesn't usually happen in uh, you know classier gigs type thing. Although it can,
0: you know. Yeah.
2: You never well, know. Well, it
0: did, and we'll see yeah. what the fallout of this is. But it is a tough job and getting tougher by the day. But nonetheless, appreciate the insight, Glenn. Take care of yourself. Thank you.
2: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: That's Glenn Foster, that Canadian guy. And so, yeah, we'll see what the ripple effect is in the uh, entertainment world, certainly the comedic world. And uh, I'm not sure this is over for Will Smith, but we'll find out. All righty, great to have you here on the show on this Monday. What is the deal with StatsCan and how it's doing its number crunching? Because a number of its recent kind of inflation uh, predictions have been coming under fire for being below what you know the estimated Thought is, in particular banks. The banks have been coming after them saying, now the inflation rate is probably a lot higher. They actually believe it's higher than the 5.7 we've been told and closer to the American rate of 7.9%. But Stats Canada changes the way it looks at its inflationary data. It does not any longer use the used car sales to cal- you know, calculate its data, which makes a very big difference to what the real story is on inflation. And now we learn in an op-ed that was written in the Toronto Sun that Stats Canada has changed its method of how it monitors food prices, and it's no longer making public the costs of products that would help us best gauge what's going up in costs on the shelves by how much. And so they're removing this historical perspective, and my next guest has written about it warning that's a problem. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois is a professor and senior director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University, also co-host of the Food Professor podcast. He joins us now. Good to have you, doctor. Good afternoon. So you wrote about this in a Toronto Sun op-ed and I thought it was particularly interesting because I've been talking a lot about the real inflation numbers and I've spoken with those in the banking sector who say, no, no, it's not actually as low as what we're being told. They think that StatsCan has been playing with the numbers a little bit. Um, and then you write about the true cost of foodflation, basically highlighting that the numbers don't necessarily add up with the way that StatsCan is is factoring data on foodflation. And so what has changed of what they're doing now versus what they did then?
1: <laughs> well, we'll know more if you can any, explain that in
0: thirty seconds or less. Yes, go ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so yes, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure Statscan is playing quote unquote with numbers, but uh, it certainly has an interesting way of doing things. So currently, they they do capture uh, a lot of data, but in my view, not not enough. And so that's mm-hmm. one thing. When it comes to food, their food basket is. Well, not representative of what we actually buy. Uh, often, there's uh, there's not a whole lot of produce. Uh, there's no vegetable protein except for canned beans, I think, and for fish and seafood, there's there's only one item, which is canned salmon. So you can you can tell that really the food basket that they have is needs needs an upgrade or needs a change, and and that's kind of what they're doing in May. So there's nothing unusual about what they're doing in terms of updating their food basket uh but they they also have announced on their website there that they may not actually allow historical data to be accessible uh to you know to people who are interested in uh in history and understanding how food prices are behaving and and frankly this is probably the biggest challenge for us uh I mean for people listening in they may say well who cares about history well to understand what what is going on with food prices, you kind of have a you need to you need to understand what has happened over the last 25 30 years. And my understanding from from their note is that we're it's going to be much harder to have access to historical data as of May. And on top of that, they are adjusting their food food prices or food baskets, and and they are actually acknowledging that they're going to be capturing more data points, so more data, which is good. In a nutshell, I think what they're doing is that they're admitting that their food inflation rate was, was not overly accurate without really saying it.
0: Right. Uh, but why? I mean, they're not uh, a partisan uh, institution. They're not, you know, playing to either side or they're not supposed to. And and I mean, it's not like I'm sitting around reading stats can reports. I leave it to people like yourself to, to kind of be able to <laughs> gather the data and, and make your reports. Uh, but you need to have accuracy in, in numbers to get a true reflection of what's going on so that, you know, you can put out a report, let's say, so that people can make a better decision, let's say, at the grocery store, you can kind of show the trends of what we had and what we're going for. And that seems to be changing. So why would they change that? I mean, is it not in the best interest for Canadians to have an understanding of what the trends are and and how to maybe navigate them in these times?
1: I, I would say so, absolutely. Uh, I, I think that uh, that um, for most people, they may not really care about uh, having access uh, to data or, or not having access to data. But I mean, some of the decisions made by Bank Bank of Canada is is, is quite critical and and will influence our lives and they actually use that data very very uh, closely in fact i've actually had an opportunity to talk to uh, people at the bank of canada uh, on a few occasions and, uh, and they they want to know they want to know what's going on they want to understand what what is happening and um, hmm. a lot of the conversation starters are uh, data coming from statscan now you're saying they're they're bipartisan i, I <laughs> I, I don't well, know cause in the last CP, the last Cpi report really scared me because they actually had a full full note on dairy prices, specifically about dairy, kind of justifying why dairy prices are going up. And I've never in twenty five years, I've never seen statscan deliberately posting a a full blown note about one of their food categories like that
0: all right. And so then how do people get a true reflection? I mean, Right now, you know, we're trying to navigate, um, you know, increasing costs on everything. Everything in life is going up because of inflation. But food is something that you can't really um, cut. I mean, you, you can shave it down or maybe buy less of the more expensive stuff, but people need to know how to plan. So how do they get accurate information on that if a body like StatsCan can't even be providing the full picture?
1: Well, I think they're doing they're they're doing the best they can, uh, but very few people actually challenge Statscan, and they, and there's a particular culture at Statscan. They 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 will reach out, but they're not very good at listening. They're, they're not an externally driven organization. They're they have a specific culture. It's very closed in, and and what they do, they think it's the right thing to do. It's the best way to do it. And so I've actually had a few meetings with them uh, over, the, over the years, and, and, and they're very they're nice people, but they tend to defend what they're doing and not necessarily wanting to understand and, and how they can improve how they do from scientists like myself or other people in a the country. They do have a very, very uh, unique approach. And, and to me, it's not something that you want to do, especially in a volatile market, Like this one, Mm -hmm. like right now, I mean, this year it's going to be super complicated to monitor prices and you want all the help you can get.
0: Yeah, no question about it. Um, and, and the story certainly hasn't been written yet because there are a lot of uh, changing geopolitical aspects like what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, which is going to have a huge impact oh, on things like wheat and grain exports. So all these things are still coming at us, and we don't have um, a bottom line. Um, we're not able to follow the dollar. And, and so I think, you know, uh, again, I think moving forward, where do people get the information then? And, and, and do you see this changing?
1: Well, I mean, I, I certainly would encourage people to continue to consult StatsCan. I mean, they, they 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 do exist for a reason, and and it is a world recognized organization, and they have some really competent people. Uh, and and to question the accuracy of the numbers is absolutely normal. I mean, you go to the U.S and 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 the Department of Labor faces the same kind of criticism. This is not just a, un, a, a, a unique situation right. in Canada's in. So it's quite normal to criticize some of the methodology. But over time, you want other pieces of information, like for example, our lab, we actually do trace prices and we have our own data. Other places have their own data too, and I would encourage people to look beyond just Stats Canada and look what else is going on, and frankly, I mean, I think we're all experts at grocery shopping these days. <laughs> we all know that the yeah. prices are going up. And so, yeah, you don't necessarily need Statscan to tell you, uh, well, things are going up.
0: Yeah, no, no, we don't. Uh, but just before I let you go, then, how much more are they going to go up in your mind in 2022 that won't be reflected by Statscan? Like what what in your mind is the story that we aren't hearing?
1: Oh, in terms of the gap, actually, you know, uh, so based on our numbers, uh, there's probably last year was the worst. I actually think that they were off by probably at least one percent, if not one point five percent all year in 2021. And I think people noticed it because uh, end was coming in with a three percent inflation rate and it just didn't make sense to people. And uh, but this year they're at seven point four percent. It's much closer to what we have which is which is very very close to 8% right now. So they're get, actually getting closer and they're well I guess they're getting better at it. And hopefully hopefully in May they'll get they'll become even more accurate.
0: Well that would be nice. Yes, I would that would be nice. All right. Well, we'll watch and uh see uh, what happens with this but no question about it. You know when something's going up at the grocery store it's kind of obvious. Appreciate your time on this. I know you're busy these days.
1: All right. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: That is uh, Professor Sylvain, Sylvain Charlebois over at the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. And uh, yeah, very busy these days. So follow the dollar is what they tell us. Well, it's not that easy to do if you can't actually follow the dollar. This deal will immediately
3: reduce the cost of child care in Ontario and provide refunds retroactive to April 1st. As the Prime Minister mentioned, April 1st is 25% and at the end of the year is another uh, 25%. So... Really, instantly, you're seeing the
1: results. This means that Canadians, all Canadian families from coast to coast to coast will benefit from quality, early learning, accessible, affordable childcare, which is a historic moment for parents, for kids, for families, but also for businesses across the country.
0: There you go. All righty. Justin Trudeau getting his legacy, which is a national daycare program. As Ontario is the last province to sign on to this enormous a new program. So this will see $10 daycare across the province. So we were told by 2025, with parents of kids under five uh, seeing a 25% drop in costs to about $12 this coming December, and then it drops down from there. And Ford said, you know, the deal... Um, was negotiated because he was able to get 13 billion over six years, which is more than the 10 billion uh, that uh, that was uh, being negotiated. So it ensures that no other government can scrap the program or their commit uh, the commitment to fund it. And it also comes with a guarantee that 86,000 more spaces will be created. And so for Ford, it's a very big deal. It takes a huge issue off his plate right before an election. He can now actually say, hey, I delivered affordable childcare. So the question, you know, for me is uh, does it add up? Is it a good deal for the taxpayers? Or is this just a deal to get more votes? Like, where is the devil in this detail? Lori Goldstein, I'm sure, has been looking. He is, of course, a columnist for the Toronto Sun. He joins us now. Good to have you, Lori. Good to be here, Alex. This is a massive deal. You know, Paul Merton, liberals have been trying to get this kind of child care national deal done for for decades. And and so here we are in 2022. They seem to be getting it done. Is there, in your view, a devil in these details? Well, it's cost. Um, Look, (laughs) when you
3: look at what's happening right now, it's as if the crises that governments create make this kind of deal a so-called solution. I mean, this is another $30 billion for the next five years um, of federal uh, tax money going to a particular group of taxpayers. And those are parents who have children under five years of age who choose publicly or, or like nonprofit, profit, or public daycare mm-hmm. for their children. Doesn't help when the mother stays at home. Doesn't help when um, in other families they, um, a relative looks after them or a friend looks after them. Um, it's certainly going to cause a boom in daycare. I mean, that's why they need these eighty-six thousand places. So, on on one level, look on the human level, yes, it the costs of daycare are outrageous, um, particularly in, in in Ontario, and particularly in Toronto. I, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you know, families are paying oh, more do. than their mortgage if they can yes. afford a mortgage for this. So, yeah. so in that sense, it's good. But I don't know about you, Alex, but. I'm always skeptical when everybody is praising a deal. Everybody. Every province signed on to this because it's free money from the feds, right? Including uh, Ford. I mean, what an amazing transformation of Justin of, sorry, of uh, Doug Ford. I mean would anybody have <laughs> thought when he was <laughs> he turned into of, Justin Trudeau. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a slip. Would anybody have thought when he was a, a Toronto city councillor that he would have he would have advocated something like this? He would have been screaming about the costs the cost of property the fact that taxes are going to go up, the fact that it only uh, helps a certain select group of, of uh, parents as opposed to all Canadians. Um, so, he, you know, he's made this remarkable transformation. And um, for Trudeau, this is, look, this is right. I mean, give the guy credit. This is right in his bailiwick. This is a uh, ostensibly a national daycare program, which the liberals have been promising since, uh, what, uh, 30 years now? 40 years yeah. and have never done it? And this now, also remember in Ontario after three years they're going to check mm-hmm. the thing. Is this thing actually working? Do the numbers work? All those all those kinds of issues and those are all concerns. Like in other words, you just look at this. You go, okay, so they're going to get twenty five percent in May, just as the, um, uh, the, the the Ford's running for election, and then it's going to be another twenty five, and then by September of twenty twenty five, it'll be uh, magically ten dollars a day daycare for everybody. Well, well wait a minute. People pay different amounts for daycare. So, so, yeah. I'm not sure. I guess they're talking about the average, that the average will be uh, $10 a day. And look, Quebec had $7 a day daycare for years. Um it was very popular. It was subsidized by, you know, oil and gas revenues from Alberta. Um, There were problems with it. uh, The fact that the main people getting it were sort of middle class people, that it wasn't really helping, um, you know, lower income families. So those will all be things to watch for in this. But politically, you know, look, it it works for, um, you know, there's no opposition to this. You know, and I know that unless somebody is questioning something in parliament or in a provincial legislature, it, nothing, you know. In other words, the criticism disappears. That's going to happen with this. All these provinces signed on, on the deal. Ontario was the last one. Uh, and so this is going to be uh, like uh, it's done. It's, it's a done deal. And now we'll have to see how it works.
0: Yeah. I mean, who wants to be the politician that's going to be terrible to moms and dads and, and the little kids and, and the care? But, you know, you look at the all day kindergarten, which was budgeted for $1 billion in its first, uh, you know, in its in its inception. And now it's ballooned to $3.1 billion. I mean, that is an enormous cost that we're playing. And it's why, I mean, no other province, and I think listeners have to understand, we're the last to sign on because we had complexities that no other province has to deal with. And of course, costs in Toronto are, to your point, ludicrous. I, I mean, we couldn't afford it. That's why we went the nanny route. It gave us more flexibility because this deal would not help a parent like me who is on a shift, let's say. Um, There are a lot of parents who work weekends or shift work that this might not work for. And so there is going to be uh, a portion of society, Lori, that, you know, tax credits and choice would have actually helped um, because they work shifts. So they won't necessarily benefit from this.
3: Well, look, um, when you talk about like all day kindergarten, I mean, back when the the Ontario uh, Liberals were in power in Quebec They were specifically warned by their own financial experts you can 't afford it yeah. don 't do it they didn 't care <laughs> they just went ahead and, and did it uh, that 's how you get to become the most indebted sub sub-sovere- sovereign jurisdiction mm-hmm. in the world, which is what Ontario became and we all know we all know the problems of, of that i guess but, but the the argument now is that we are in so much debt yeah. uh, federal it 's over a trillion dollars just for the federal government, then add in all. The provinces. That, that, that's what, what really has happened. I think um, the big change is that from I would say, like let's say that the nineteen nineties, when when Canadians as a whole went, oh wait, the, the spending's out of control. We got to do something. And ironically, it was the it was uh, Paul Martin and John Chrétien who got our finances under control back. There, there's no there's no movement for that now. Uh, people don't want to hear about um, you know having or we got you know we got to raise taxes because we have to lower the deficit or we got to cut services. Nobody wants to hear that now. It's for a number of reasons, including the pandemic. Um, and so, you know, I, I mean, look, look where we are now. Inflation is skyrocketing. Um, mm-hmm. We have these horrible supply chain things. Our our health our entire healthcare system has just been exposed as yeah. um, in unable to cope with a pandemic. Two years into the pandemic, the reason, you know, for example, in Ontario, the reason we had to shut down so much was to protect the hospitals because they had no capacity for a surge. Now, we knew that before uh, the pandemic hit. The pandemic just hit and it was like, oh, my Lord. But but the lesson is because we don't. Properly fund things and we don't spend the money in the right place on the right priorities. For the past two years, Ontario became one of the most locked down jurisdictions in the world to protect um, to protect the hospital system. It's bizarre. Like families with kids are protecting the, the hospital system because their kids don't go to school. So so. So
0: and yet, and yet the kids were all in daycare. But, but to my, I mean, to your point, Laurie, I mean, we have all these massive spending promises, whether it's the non-coalition coalition of Justin Trudeau and, and Jagmeet Singh. They want PharmaCare now. They want, uh, they've got their daycare. I mean, I can't remember what the other one was, but they all want all these massive national spending programs. Uh, and it's great, but I don't know how we're going to pay for them. Albeit if they just changed their ideology and started actually working our energy market, our oil, they could have all of these things and, and in spades if they would allow us to become the solution to a lot of the problems that you know our energy, be it you know gas or oil, whatever, all of that could fix it. Yet they don't want to tap into it.
3: Well, that was remember when when Trudeau ran in twenty fifteen. He said two things. He said that uh, the carbon tax would give uh, him yeah. the social license yeah. to approve. Pipelines, And that they would use the profits from the extra money tax revenue to fund the transition to green energy, which is also coming as very expensive. Absolutely none Mm -hmm. of that has happened. Right. Um, (laughs) Social license didn't give us anything. It it didn't stop um, Obama or Biden from killing um, Keystone. It didn't stop Quebec from stopping one. It didn't stop uh, the uh, British uh, Columbia government from uh, proposing the uh, opposing the LNG thing. So that all is a myth. And now, look, by the time they get the one pipeline that they are hoping to complete, uh, Trans Mountain, uh, the Trans Mountain expansion out to the to the, you know, B.C. So we can then get it, get our, our resources to international markets. So we're not captured by the United States market, where in terms of oil and natural gas, we have to sell to the United States. Ninety nine percent of it goes there. And we have to sell that huge discounts because mm-hmm. of that. Right. None of that has changed. So so you're absolutely right. That. That, which costs us billions of dollars uh, to the economy and to taxes for federal and provincial governments, that's not on. So we're losing, yeah. we're bleeding billions of dollars every um, year. So, I mean, what we really are at, and I, I don't mean to use the term to get people angry, but this is nanny statism folks. <laughs> it's, mm. That's what it is. You, um, uh, Families uh, used to be, when my parents grew up, one uh, wage earner. With with this one of the spouses staying home look after the kids could afford a house that is laughable today, right? And and so yeah. we are, so and you just mentioned them. What what are we going to have? We're going to have a national daycare program because that's what it is. I mean that's what this is. The next one coming is a national dental care program, and then at some point, although it's pretty vague right now, a national pharmacare uh, uh, program. Um, so um, you know, like and we and we will. All kinds of other things will be bad because of that, because of our debt load and all yeah. those kinds yeah. of things. But, you know, look, to be fair to, to Justin Trudeau, he he ran on this. It wasn't a sneak attack. And for yeah. whatever reasons, you know, because of the way the vote split and all that, um, he's got the confidence of Parliament to do it. All his pressure is going to be to spend more, not less, because his partner sure. is is um, is uh, sing. So, um, but, you know, you, you really, in one sense, well, okay, this collectively is what we appear, while there are opponents, while there are people angry, collectively, this is what we've uh, decided on as a nation.
0: Hold on to your wallets, folks. Yep. It's going to get real, real expensive. All right, Laurie, very much appreciate your time. Take care of you, and we'll uh, chat again. Thank you. For sure. Take care. You can read uh, Laurie Goldstein in uh, The Toronto Sun. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join me live Monday through Friday, starting now, 7 p.m. sharp. I'm Alex Pearson. This is On Point.